Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today, we're going to touch on uh, some fundamentals pretty quickly. I hope to get through that in five or 10 minutes, and then we're going to touch on some news items, but uh, try to keep it to a decent length today. If you guys, uh, last week, I missed the podcast on Friday. Uh, so if you don't want to miss a week of you know what you hear on the show, it's super easy. Go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash report, sign up for the weekly report that comes out no matter what with commentary and charts and stuff like that. So uh, that does take up the slack for when I do miss the show. Uh, I try not to miss miss a Friday. Uh, it just, my son was sick last week and so he wasn't um, cooperating with me very well. But anyway, so this week we're back. If, you, if you'd like to support my kind of content that's never shilled an ICO, that has talked about fundamentals for many, many years, and kind of been on the leading edge of this space for a while now, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. And there you can find free ways to support the show, as well as donations and ways to join, become a member and stuff like that. Anyways, all right, let's get on with the price. Bitstamp is sitting at six, sorry, 35.66. It's been extremely stable. Um, we did have a little bit of a sell-off this morning, but uh, nothing major. Um, and hey, steady as she goes. Two weeks ago on this market update podcast, I did say that there was like a um, convergence of resistance above us at that time. And uh, that that's I didn't think we were going to be able to break through that. But it, give it a little time. Those resistance zones will separate, right? Like the moving averages of stuff, they'll start separating. And then we can start breaking them one by one. It'll be easier to go up uh, through a less dense of an area of resistance. And I think that's kind of what happened here. So um, we are going up as long as we stay above the previous. Uh, well, let me get the date. The previous high from February 2nd. I think we're still within this uptrend, at least a uh, little uptrend that we have here. I don't think this is the end of the accumulation phase, but we're getting close. Okay. We, we are getting close. I think that the bottom is in or roughly in just all of the different fundamentals that I, I'm tracking here. We do have some bearish fundamentals and some bullish fundamentals this week. So I'll make sure to point those out to you anyway. Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking like we're sitting on some solid support and less solid resistance. So I think we could possibly pop through here. Um, but will that be like the end all be all? No, we'll probably come back to this, this level 3,500, um, quite soon. I mean, it could be a matter of days. If we do break it up, break out of this area, um, we could be back here in a matter of days. So, uh, I'm not calling a, uh, reverse, uh, like a trend reversal to a bull market yet, but uh, I'm not, I, I don't think that we're going much lower. Okay. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. All right. Let's take a look at sentiment. So this is longs versus shorts, mainly data from Bitfinex, but I also look at the prices uh, in conjunction with this. So we have a very bullish ratio, 1.54. And that is longs over shorts. So we have 50% more longs than shorts right now. Um, this isn't great for the price to go up because if we want the price to go up, you know, we want more shorts to squeeze and make them make them buy the Bitcoin back. Uh, but at this time, uh, it doesn't look dire, right? Like we can't necessarily squeeze the shorts very well right now, but I think the uh, 
fuel for this next little tiny bump in price is going to come from a different fundamental or a different spot here. So overall, the sentiment is very bullish relative to uh, all the way back to, I believe, like last August. This is the, the best that we've seen on this ratio of uh, longs to shorts. Anyway, let's get on to futures. So futures are definitely a bullish fundamental this week like they were last week. The spreads are continuing to uh, decrease. So we're down to $5 for March contracts. And even the June contract is out to, uh, or is down to only $20. Uh, this is a big sign. Uh, I, I'm waiting for this to swap, but overall it uh, adds more fuel to a bullish scenario, in my opinion. So again, the spreads are $5 for March contracts, $20 for June contracts. All right, let's get into just the altcoin chart really quick. I include this on the uh, the report as a way, like a percentage gain versus Bitcoin. Um, this Today, I'm going to make this a one-month chart. You're going to see that Litecoin is significantly higher than or has significantly outperformed Bitcoin, as well as EOS actually is up about 15% in the last 30 days against Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is roughly even. It's made a pretty nice comeback here in the last week. Uh, and Ripple is 8% uh, loser to Bitcoin over the last 30 days. I like to see gradual losses against Bitcoin from these altcoins. Um, that to me is more of a healthy market. In this last 30 days, specifically the last probably two weeks, we've uh, seen altcoins outperform. So are we on starting this little uh, relief rally? Probably. Um, that's another bullish sign, in my opinion, that this is symboling, you know, these altcoins aren't quite dead yet. They have a little bit more pump left in them, and they're going to help a little relief rally here before the next leg down uh, versus Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, this is kind of a good sign, uh, kind of ho-hum. All right, next will be mining. Mining has been pretty interesting over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we saw a huge increase in hash rate uh, last Thursday and Friday. Let me pull up the calendar to check those dates. So like between the 6th and the 8th of February, we saw a 15% increase in the hash rate right before the last difficulty adjustment of 4.25% increase. But right after the difficulty adjusted, uh, we saw again a dramatic pullback in the hash rate, that whole 15% that was just added uh, came off. Uh, so that was really interesting. It, it did correspond uh, slightly to the price, uh, the big daily green candle that we had at the end of last week. Uh, that was uh, actually preceded by about 12 hours of the hash rate uh, increasing quickly. And then we had this big green candle. Um, and then the difficulty adjusted and we've had a significant decrease of the hash rate right now uh, in about nine days we'll have another another difficulty adjustment and it is roughly just a negative half of a percent so we'll see remember hash rates very correlated with margins and um, uh, if the price goes down that means that you know hash rate will have to come off and if price goes up people can put their hash rate back onto the network. Uh, so we we do see that this area between, you know, right around 35 to 3700 
there's about 15% of this hash rate that is right in there. That's where their profitability starts. And so, uh, you know, we'll see a significant back and forth with this hash rate right in this area, I believe. But that was kind of interesting. Um, again, on the report, you can see that. And I have some written commentary there for that on the report as well. All right, let's move on. Next up is Lightning, and man, it, there's a ton of stuff going on here. Of course, we had Jack and the Lightning Torch uh, handed to him by Matt O'Dell. It was a huge moment in Bitcoin history. I talked about that in the community chat, uh, so go back and listen to that last show that I released. Um, we talked about that with the group. And uh, yeah, so other than that, Lightning Koala released some cool stuff, uh, a game-type, I think, platform or something to help people create games, uh, multiple different releases going on with the software and the uh, apps. Tipping.me has uh, integrated a button uh, through an extension uh, in Chrome or Firefox. You can tip via Lightning while you're looking at Twitter. Um, what else? I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. The, the growth rate is about 30% every 30 days. That's how much we have gone up in capacity now, up to 688 Bitcoins on Lightning Network. And we also have about 30% uh, more uh, channels as well. So 30 days, 30%, that's pretty crazy growth. Uh, I don't know if we'll hit that like 18,000 Bitcoins by the end of the year on Lightning Network, like I mentioned uh, previously, but we'll probably have a couple thousand at least. And the price will probably be higher than it is today by the end of the year. So you know, we're looking at uh, it solidly double-digit millions, probably about $50 million uh, worth of uh, capacity on the Lightning Network by the end of the year. And by that time, we'll probably have something that is fairly popular, whether it's the tipping or, you know, the games or something like that. So we'll see how this progresses. But Lightning, man, it's growing at lightning speed. Okay, uh, next piece. Guys, check out Longhash. Longhash.com. They have very good blog posts almost every day. Almost every day. And they don't do like crazy different data collections. They use other people's data and then they make really cool references to it. Uh, in They draw insights out of that data. And I, I really am liking what I'm seeing from longhash.com. And they didn't pay me to say that or anything, but I like, I like their website right now, uh, especially their, their news section. So if you go to their um, longhash.com and then just click on the news tab and uh, they have some good stuff there. So anyways, this one in particular was from the 4th of February and it talked about daily active addresses. All they did was they went to Looks like coin market cap and sorted by number of active addresses. And Ethereum dropped all the way to number six. They Ethereum only had 43,000 active addresses on the 4th of February. And uh, they were kind of making fun of Ethereum saying Dogecoin had 80,000. So double the amount of active addresses as Ethereum. And I've also seen another blog post on this long hash uh, talking about uh, something like 88% of Ethereum transactions don't have Ether in it. Another statistic 80, that they have published, 80% of dApps, quote unquote dApps, apps on Ethereum, 
have no users. And it was something like 90% that had no volume. Ethereum's a ghost town, guys. Ethereum's a ghost town. But I'll get into them on the very next story here. Let me just get through this. So, um, yeah, long hash doing good work. So it goes Bitcoin, Dash, Dogecoin, Litecoin, Tron, Ethereum. But guess what's not even in the top 10? Ripple. Ripple's not in the top 10. And I've said in the past, Ripple, they only have 8,000 daily active addresses in Ripple with supposedly a $12 billion market cap. I mean, it's ridiculous. And now they're going against JP Morgan coin. Oh, give me a break. I'm bad at, at calling tops for all coins because the shit coinery can get really crazy. Um, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, right? So... Uh, I wouldn't bet against Ripple going up, but long term, there is no market for Ripple. Ripple is a dead coin. So yeah, really interesting stuff from Longhash. I would check out their blog. Okay, let's get into the Ethereum thing. Now, I had a tweet the other day. I saw this article. I've been waiting for a bug in the new Constantinople. It's supposed to be forking on the 28th of February, okay? And I've been waiting on a new bug for it, uh, it's a pretty good bet <laughs> to bet that there's going to be a bug in a Ethereum upgrade. Every few months, there's a major bug in Ethereum. And so I was kind of waiting for a bug to happen in this new Constantinople attempt. Um, well, uh, there was an article by Trusted Node. I think it's TrustNodes or TrustedNode.com. I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes. Um, but they're talking about this uh, new create to function in Constantinople. So in Ethereum contracts, you have a self-destruct uh, option. And that's very important for them because, you know, they they run on this statefulness. Um, the, the nodes in Ethereum only hold the current state and maybe a few blocks back. But that's about it. This the current state is very, very important, especially the size of it. And so if you use a smart contract to be a good citizen of the blockchain, you're supposed to go back and delete your contract, self-destruct it so that it's no longer in the current state. This is my understanding. OK, uh, and uh, so they, they have this this function in these contracts that you, you can use. Well, uh, this new Constantinople is using create Two, a new function that. Uh, can uh, make this self-destruct not permanent. So you can bring back a contract. It's, it's very similar to like this parody situation where they, they self-destructed this uh, library or smart contract. And now those coins are stuck because they can't, you know, bring it back to life like a zombie contract. Uh, so this enables that feature in the future. Even if you self-destruct something, you can bring it back. But the problem, the attack vector, is that it doesn't have to be the same code, right? So you have this contract, and it has certain behavior. Maybe it's been audited or something, right? Probably not, but let's just say <laughs> that it's out there. And so now it's, it's lived its usefulness out, and you delete it. Well, then there can be like some sort of scammer that comes around and re-brings that contract back as a zombie contract in another form. They're reusing that address, okay? It wouldn't even have to be, like it could just be 
a another person on your team or something if you're some dap developer but you can see how that can cause problems because there is no finality in the self-destruct anymore so it opens up a lot of different attack vectors um, anyway I, I i went out on twitter and said hey look here's a new bug Whoop. wow <laughs> barely took three weeks from the last bug uh, and then some ethereum insiders were tweeting at me saying that this is not a bug this is active or behavior that is designed like this i was like what not a bug <laughs> couldn't it be considered a bug by some people and they, they didn't want to answer that you know they're just saying it's not a bug it's not a bug and when they don't answer your questions properly um or not pro even properly but when they don't answer answer your questions at all then it's very suspicious and especially this hudson He's with the Ethereum Foundation. Like his main uh, answer was that it's not a bug. I said, okay, well, what? So what part of that is inaccurate? What part of this story, this this uh, article, is inaccurate? And he's like, the first sentence is inaccurate. And I was like, oh my god, tell me exactly what? Why is this not a bug? I mean, it's it's partly my misunderstanding of the situation, but I'm trying to get specific information from him, and I think I'm being really clear. And then he won't even answer that. He says some other person, and he links to another person that answered the question. I was like, well, yeah, but I didn't ask him. <laughs> I'm asking you because your bio says you're with the Ethereum Foundation. The other guy's bio is blank. So I don't know, right? Um, I don't follow who's involved with Ethereum. <laughs> some random folks. So anyways, um, long story short, it just seemed, it gave me the creeps with uh, or made me second guess their answers since they weren't open and honest. Like, I know they're busy. Of course they're busy. They're trying to ship this code. But I, I had a pretty simple question, I thought, and they totally stiff-armed it and tried to make me feel dumb, right? Like, that's another thing. <laughs> I'm probably pretty dumb, but you shouldn't, like, try to make people feel that way. In Bitcoin, they talk about the toxicity, okay? The toxicity is there for a reason in Bitcoin because we don't want people coming in and, you know, socially attacking us. But uh, the Ethereum people touted their inclusiveness. Oh, come on in. You know, we want to we want to build with you. We want you to buy our Ethereum and, <laughs> and our tokens. But now, like, you see how toxic they actually are. Like they're working, working, working. You ask a very honest question and they attack you. It's it's a different dynamic than, than Bitcoin. Bitcoin wants to welcome you and teach you. There's many people that want to welcome you in and teach you. But if you try to change, like I'm not trying to change Ethereum. I'm just, I ask the simple question, right? They won't even allow you in. Oh, I could go on and on about that, obviously. But what else do we have in the stack here? for questions or talk um really good google doc here this also talks about ethereum and i know i talk a lot about ethereum but they are very important to this space right now uh, i think they they need to go down They're, they need to separate this correlation with bitcoin decouple from bitcoin so i talk good about bitcoin other podcasts do a great job talking really good about bitcoin um I am going to talk bad about the altcoins. <laughs> I think that's healthy, though, too, because uh, if, if you listen to Bitcoin podcasts, 
they're going to talk about how great Bitcoin is. And then you listen to altcoin podcasts or altcoin YouTube channels, and they talk about how great altcoins are. Um, there's nobody really in there saying how bad the altcoins are. So anyways, I think I kind of fit in that little area. So this, this Google Doc was um, put out by a team that was studying Ethereum 2.0 and the development of it. There's several points of this paper. It's on a Google Doc, so it's, kind of, it's not an article or a post. It's a paper-ish thing, and it goes through different points here. I wanted to bring up a few of these. So there seems to be, they talk about churn in this. The word is churn. That means like they update the code, but then the insider developers, the dev team at the Ethereum Foundation will change something and they'll put in a, con a comment, obviously better, okay, or um, can't be argued with, <laughs> quote, unquote, can't be argued with. And so like these people are having to constantly go back and change the code without asking, being able to ask questions about it or know what's really going on. Um, for example, they might change a um, name of a variable. And then that name of the variable has to be QC'd and changed throughout your entire code base. It might appear a hundred different times. And then you have to make sure that that doesn't mess up the other code that's working with it, right? And I can see how that would cause a lot of problems. Um, and so these other implementations are trying to keep up with the dev team. And they don't feel like they can ask questions. They don't feel like, look at these comments, like I just showed you or just told you was uh, uh, obviously better or can't be argued with. And um, that doesn't make these dev teams feel like they can approach this stuff. Um, so anyway, that was all under this, this churn idea and um, acquiescing to the dev team developers. And I also got this idea talking to this Hudson and this other Coleman or something that was responding to my tweets, um, they they seemed like they were part of this central team, right? This they're like part of this Ethereum Foundation that's in control of the code and the the definitions in that code. So if I think it's a bug, he says it's not a bug. Well, why isn't a, isn't it a bug? Couldn't somebody think it's a bug? Like malleability is a bug, but the code was working as designed. Is it a bug? Yes, people think it's a bug, so it's a bug. So just because something that worked is working as designed doesn't mean it's not a bug. It can be seen as a bug by many, many people out there. And I would think that zombie contracts are a bug. But, you know, Hudson was in charge of defining that term in that conversation. I can feel for these Ethereum developers that are trying to do this, this work and they don't feel like they can bring up this at any points because they get pushback from people like Hudson with the definitions, unable to budge. I know what a bug is. I'm going to tell you what a bug is. That's, that's his point of view, at least what came across in that conversation as his point of view. So anyway, Ethereum is in dire straits. Now I did listen to the POV crypto podcast Great podcast, by the way, guys. Uh, I'm going to be reposting the episode I was on of their show here in a little while, uh, maybe uh, beginning in next week. But David on there, on the show, the host, David, he's the Ethereum guy, and Christian is the Bitcoin guy. <laughs> and I like the dynamic between those two guys. It's really good. You guys 
should listen to POV crypto. But anyways, um, David was saying, yeah, the, there is this growing, you know, uncomfortable feeling in Ethereum. We need to scale. We need to scale. We need to scale. We need a ship code. You know, we need this Ethereum 2.0 because why do I want to build a DAP right now? Um, you know, invest a lot in making launching something right now say that i need to wait six months for to make sure it's going to work with ethereum 2.0 so there's a lot of pressure put on these devs and i can see that and i can feel that um that's not the best way to <laughs> scale something big bugs are bad it's just not a good situation especially when you do have competitors like eos and tron even though they're stupid too but <laughs> ethereum is stupid you have competitors like RSK, right? Uh, Rootstock on a Bitcoin sidechain. I, I think people will just start falling out of love with this whole idea of Ethereum. Um, and we'll see, because I would much rather build a dApp that is going to have people falling in love with it on Lightning than you know, trying to keep up with these stupid-ass bugs and changes on Ethereum. It's just, it's just not good. Uh, not a good situation for them. Anyway, that's that's all I have for bashing on Ethereum. Let's see what else is in the stack here. Okay, so um, the next thing I have here today is about the block, a new block size debate in Bitcoin, and it pits people that want to decrease the block size or the maximum base block size from one megabyte down to three hundred kilobytes uh, in data, and maybe even like change the block weight down to maybe a maximum of one megabyte. I'm not sure the exact details of the proposal, but there's a reason that they want to do this. And this is mainly headlined by Luke Dash Jr., really famous Bitcoin core contributor, um, has was, you know, responsible for making SegWit a soft fork instead of they thought it would be a hard fork, um, but he figured out a way to make it a soft fork. So um, very, very talented guy and very very smart um but anyway so he's in kind of the lead or the central figure of this small block size debate and i just want to go through this so the reasons for this are it'll lead to less bloat and slower growth of that bloat so as we go like 20 years down the road you know they don't want to be adding 100 gigabytes a year roughly or it might even be a little bit more than that to the blockchain because it is a problem with running a full node and he does a very good job counting nodes out there he has one of the most accurate counts of nodes on the network and he's noticed a drop from about 100k down to about six uh, 80,000 nodes so it's coming down even though we have all these new lightning nodes and all these new plug and play nodes they're coming out um, it seems like there is a decrease uh, and of course if you keep these the resource requirements low then you are supposed to be able to increase decentralization and hence trust minimization. That's it. That's about the entirety of their argument. Uh, it's not technical, though. It's not technical. I don't see this as a technical debate. First off, it's trivial to implement this code change, most likely. I mean, not trivial, but it's in the grand scheme of things, it's trivial. And is a soft fork so it's not super uh hard in that respect like getting a consensus for a hard fork or something like that but you know the the main reasons behind this are 
bandwidth and storage costs, uh, basically resources uh, in the future. Now, resources are not a technical discussion. Resources are, is an economic discussion, right? So Luke is, genius that he is, he's making an economic projection into the future and then backdating that to a technical recommendation today, right? So this, it's not even a technical debate. It is an economic debate, 100% in my opinion. Um, so what is the actual situation? Well, the actual situation is Bitcoin doesn't care about this. Bitcoin as an entity itself doesn't care. Like we might get emotional, but Bitcoin doesn't. <laughs> if there was some sort of issue happening, we would see it or feel it. Uh, there would be, you know, services out there or ideas floated before this um, for dealing with that. And I know Luke has talked about this for several years, but um, there is no like economic issue that he can point to today. Maybe he can say the nodes are coming down from 100K to 80K. But then again, it's not, how does he know that these people are coming off because of like resource requirements? There's several arguments out there that would say it's not because of resource requirements. For example, it is faster today to sync the blockchain than it was two years ago. Jameson Lopp did it in five hours with Bitcoin Core. So there is no, uh, like, um, I think it was two or three years ago when I was experimenting a lot more with, with different nodes and things, it, it would take me three days sometimes, right? Depending on the speed of your processor in your computer, but, but you know, to validate the blockchain. Um, but it would take a long time. Now, five hours, I just... It's getting better. Plus, we also have things like Nielsen's law, which is bandwidth increases by 50% a year. Um, and then the law of mass digital storage, which says that $1 buys twice as much storage every year, or sorry, every 15 months. And of course, Moore's law about uh, transistors on silicone. So the speed of the processors goes up every doubles every 18 months. And there is some limitations to that. Some people have talked about that, but at the same time, uh, this isn't a constant increase. So even like right now, what, what's the block size, blockchain size, but, uh, 250 say gigabytes, uh, one gigabyte is less of a percent today than it was last year. Right? It's just like inflation. So the 12 and a half Bitcoins is a lower lower inflation rate this block than it was last block. Right, Every new block that's added is actually a smaller percentage change. So in 10 years, say the, the blockchain size is one terabyte. Then you know when you're talking about adding 100 gigabytes a year, you're only talking about 10% for that year. Where this year adding a hundred gigabytes is hundred percent, you know. So the growth of the blockchain per block, the rate of growth decreases. So if you look at it that way, going in the future, you know, it's a consistent thing. Where these other gains from bandwidth, storage, and processor speed increase at a, at an exponential rate. So 
anyways, um, so that's what the actual situation is. So what do I believe? Well, uh, my personal belief is doesn't well. First off, it doesn't matter. Bitcoin doesn't care. <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't care what I think. Um, but I, I think I can see the ar- the economic arguments. Uh, at least I see them for being economic arguments. Where Luke sees them as a technical argument, which they aren't. They are an economic argument. Um, so anyway, my personal beliefs are that the max base block size of one megabyte is pretty small. And it was ingenious to be set at that level. Like I talked about in on the community chat number two, where I said um, it gives us enough space to kind of grow, right, on chain and get established. Uh, but it also is small enough to incentivize layer two. Okay. And we see with other um, trends of transactions right now, that transactions are trending up again, the number of transactions, fees are trending up. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, at least be patient by a year or two, right? And let's readdress this after the have after the next halving. Fees today provide about one to five percent, and we'll see how that grows. Like I said, be patient. Over the next couple of years, fees might be providing twenty five percent, and then we will have more data to extrapolate this out. We'll even have more data on like bandwidth growth and processor speed and uh, storage costs and all these things. So we'll just have more data. Uh, Luke's argument will only get stronger if it's true. So overall, that this this argument about bloat, it does not resonate with me at all. And I think it's faster today. It's more decentralized today than it ever has been. So I mean, maybe not in strict node numbers, but uh, you know, the access to downloading and running your own full node is the lowest it's ever been today. Mining is the most decentralized and keeps getting more decentralized every day. Uh, so I just don't see the argument. I don't agree at all. There, there's also an infinite number of ways to do this off chain, right? Like if this became a concern, we wouldn't need to change the consensus rules to do it. We could do it in many ways, like incentivize research and development into nodes, or you know into hardware and start a business to bring faster internet somewhere uh you know there there's so many uh, you could even uh, pay the miners not to include uh over a certain amount of transactions so you are competing directly with the fees from the transactions there right uh so there there's free market ways to do this and you don't need to do this in a technical consensus changing way so until all those other ways are found, like if it's, <laughs> if it's not a big enough deal to spend money on one of these infinite other ways to do it, why is it worth changing the protocol? Because it's cheaper. So you're taking the cheaper route that might not be the best, the best technical route. You're taking the cheapest route. It just doesn't cut mustard, man. Doesn't hold any water. All right. That's all I have for today, guys. Thanks for joining me. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. Lots of free ways to support the show as well as becoming a member on Patreon or making a donation. I appreciate everybody that does support the show. You guys are awesome. Don't forget, every Friday, I have a free report that comes out straight to your inbox. Sign up for that on the website forward slash report. Show notes for this episode will be available at forward slash E150. This is episode 150 of the show. Woo woo. 
Thanks for everybody that's made it possible to get here. Thank you, Jeff, for helping with the show. Thank you, Meetup people. Thank you, Discord people. Thank you, patrons. Uh, uh, maybe above all, thank you to the patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, thank you, Satoshi. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys later. Take it easy. Peace.